It's time for our monthly check-in with State Senator Andy Menard. Senator, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for being here with us. You bet, Jim. Thanks for having me. I want to dive right into it. Uh, we, you know, we focus so much on what's happening here in Springfield and Sangamon County related to the pandemic. Your legislative district obviously covers a lot more territory than that. So give us a view from your perspective on how uh, the, the pandemic, the mitigations, now Tier 3 statewide, how's that impacting businesses in your district? And, and can the state do more than it's currently doing to help them? Well, there's no there's no doubt that uh, small businesses are experiencing incredible challenges right now, Jim. Even um, even businesses that are open and that have remained open uh, to some degree, or I think it, business as usual during the pandemic, uh, there has been a severe economic downturn. So even businesses that are open are experiencing challenges. Uh, but but I think the state has done uh, what it can do. Uh, up to this point in terms of making grants available to small businesses in rural communities, small business and urban neighborhoods uh, that I represent Springfield and Decatur, and has opened up any number of lines um, to the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity for help. I got to tell you, Jim, at this point, it's been a a struggle for for our office uh, to convince rural communities, city governments, for example, uh, to file the, the a few pages of documents that need to be filed for reimbursement from uh, the Federal CARES Act. Uh, Believe it or not, I have uh, probably well over a dozen, maybe two dozen communities that just didn't do that. So there's a lot out there. Uh, But this is tough for everybody. And small businesses, especially restaurants and bars, I believe are being impacted the most by the pandemic. And, you know, I I know these grants are available. It seems like they they are the proverbial drop in the bucket for the losses that a lot of these, as you know, particularly bars and restaurants, but other businesses are are facing with this. And I know the Mm -hmm. the budget's tight uh, with the state, but is is this really the best we can do when the state's imposing these restrictions on businesses? Is there nothing more that we can do, assuming that Washington doesn't get off the dime? Well, Washington hasn't gotten off the dime. And if you rewind the clock back to the spring uh, when the uh, CARES Act was passed, uh, which I believe was the second step, uh, the second measure passed by uh, the bipartisan Congress and signed by President Trump, there has been zero movement and zero, absolutely zero movement uh, from Washington. And our federal government is the government that's equipped with the tools and the finances uh, to give aid to small businesses so that they can weather this storm. So uh, to the extent um, that more can be done, uh, the answer is absolutely. Uh, but state governments are not in the business of printing money. State governments are not in the same position as the federal government. This pandemic is national. And I think it's time that uh, the leadership on both sides of the aisle in Washington work together and come to some agreement to have another care package that is directed first and foremost at small businesses. You know, one of the most frustrating things to me, Jim, throughout the whole pandemic, and I hear it every day from small business owners in the 48th district, is how much of uh, federal aid went to big corporations, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars going out the door, the federal government level to big corporations. Meanwhile, we have communities that were struggling before the pandemic economically, um, struggling uh, more so than I think any of us could ever imagine. So, Aid needs to come to small businesses, and that is the responsibility of the federal government. And I think it's time that uh, both parties work together to try to find some compromise in order to get that done. 
Uh, again, we've looked at a lot of what we're seeing here in Springfield with the Memorial Medical Center, HSHS St. John's. You have other hospitals in your district. How are they doing in terms of keeping up with the demand for bed space, in terms of staffing, et cetera, as the numbers have gotten worse over the last few weeks? Well, it, it certainly is a challenge. And depending on uh, where you're at in the 48th district, you get you get a different story, a different flavor of the story, not a completely different story. But the trend is not on our side. And the whole point of, of uh, having mitigations in the first place uh, is to bend that curve. Remember that saying, Jim, way back in the spring, bend the curve, uh, knowing that our healthcare system has its limitations, despite all of the good work uh, that our healthcare and frontline professionals do each and every day uh, at the, the big institutions in Springfield and the, the rural critical access hospitals, all six of them that I represent, uh, the people that work in those institutions and those facilities are giving their lives and putting um, unbelievable amounts of blood, sweat, and tears into their job. And the system has limitations. And I- I'm fearful today. I'm worried today uh, that if we continue on these trends, we are going to be faced with the reality that there is just going to be a situation where people will not be able to find the care that they need um, should we continue on the path that we have? Now, now that that is a tough thing to say, uh, but that also also collides with um, you know pushback from opponents to mitigations that say we should just open everything up and things should be um, as normal as they can be, business as usual. But but that is absent of the reality that that our healthcare system has limitations, and those limitations, if they're not respected and we try to work together to get through this will cost lives at the end of the day. Well, there has been a lot of pushback and there's been frustration uh, by officials here in Springfield, the mayor, for example, as we've tried to uh, to really clamp down on some of the violations in Springfield and Sangamon County. But surrounding counties have been much more lax about this. Do we need to have more state level enforcement rather than leaving this up to, to local health departments and local county boards and, and city governments? Well, uh- in a perfect world, we would have had a national strategy from, from day one. I mean, the pandemic, uh, the virus, coronavirus, doesn't stop at state lines. Um, it doesn't stop at the Mississippi River. Um, it doesn't stop arbitrarily at county lines. Um, it doesn't respect those political boundaries that we um, have fashioned our democracy around. So ultimately, we, we needed a national strategy. We, we didn't get that. The Trump administration did not set that into motion. That's not me being a partisan. That's me being a realist. Um, It was up to states to do testing. It was up to states, each governor individually, to put forward some level of mitigation. It was up to states to figure out which programs would be propped up um, very quickly to help small businesses. It was up to states to manage uh, the PUA program, which was shoved in the middle of our unemployment system, which was a disaster in terms of of how the federal government approached that. So all of these things were pushed on to the state. And I think our state standards um, and uh, what the Pritzker administration has done thus far is the best effort that we have in state government to try to address this very difficult situation. So would I you know, like to have seen more uniformity across the state? Of course I would. I think that that would uh, remove a lot of confusion and a lot of people asking the obvious question, why is it this way in this community and why is it different 
um, in the county, for example, or why is it different in one county over? We need a national strategy, uh, and we didn't get it. And hopefully with the Biden administration, um, we can get the vaccine out quickly. Um, hopefully we can get it to rural areas as quickly as we can urban areas. And hopefully we can get some national strategy as we see a light at the end of this very dark tunnel. State Senator Andy Menard live with us here this afternoon on WMAY. Uh, Senator, of course, no fall veto session. We uh, at least expect lawmakers to be coming back uh, to Springfield next month. But the big question mark right now, and even though it's not your chamber, it will have an impact on everything that happens at the Capitol Dome, is the future of Mike Madigan uh, as Speaker. Uh, what do you see happening, and, and how does this affect the function of, of the legislature if Madigan is deposed? Well, right now it, it affects the function of the legislature quite a bit, because when there is an open leadership question, uh, things tend to come to, to uh, for all practical purposes, a halt, um, even the most in, important business. We just went through this in the Senate, as you know, Jim, and as we were having uh, an internal leadership um uh, race within our caucus, uh, things, you know, things came for all practical purposes to a halt. Um, unfortunately, right now, uh, with what's happening in the House, uh, with this question about who is going to lead the Illinois House of Representatives in the next General Assembly, we have some really important things on our to-do list. We have major budget challenges. Uh, we have to, in my opinion, get more money in the hands of small business owners, especially those that have been following uh, the mitigations that have been put forward. We have big questions about c- criminal justice reform that the Black Caucus has been working on and has been building support around. Uh, we have ethics reform that, that I called for months ago with a group of lawmakers, things that I think ought to be pretty easy for us to do, uh, both Democrats and Republicans. So we have a lot to do. Uh, but uh, I think it's realistic to say, and I, I don't think it's wrong for me to say this, um, and I'm not being a defeatist, but I think all of those things um, are going to take a backseat uh, until we know who the next Speaker of the House is going to be in the next General Assembly. Uh, the governor just announced uh, in the last few days that the state will be borrowing another $2 billion from this uh, federal program. We'd already borrowed another $1 billion plus uh, earlier in the year. That's a lot of borrowing at a time when the state budget is in such uh, difficult shape. Uh, was that a, a good idea? And are we going to be able to repay those billions of dollars in the three-year time frame that uh, is called for under the law? I think the governor did this the right way, Jim. Uh, That was about half of the borrowing in total that was authorized by the General Assembly back in May. And if you read the governor's message uh, about uh, that last borrowing piece that was set into motion last week, I think he's right when he says that he wanted to balance the need for that revenue this fiscal year to get us through this fiscal year with the reality that that has to be paid back knowing the difficult budget challenges that we uh, that we face today that are that are growing especially with the failure of the fair tax um, that are going to have to be addressed sooner or later by the general assembly so it's about half of the borrowing that was authorized um, it will get it i believe it will get us through uh, the remainder of the fiscal year without dramatic cuts to things that that i believe are important for example k through 12 education funding Uh, and making sure our universities are funded because we've stopped the bleeding when it comes to the exodus of students uh, in our higher education system. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The alternative, Jim, would have been cutting $3 billion from the state budget. And I think if you were to ask for a show of hands, 
uh, from the most liberal members of the legislature to the most conservative members of the legislature. There wouldn't be a whole lot of people raising their hands saying, please, let me step forward and offer up $3 billion worth of cuts in the state budget. Uh, Senator, with the uh, defeat of the uh, progressive income tax, you know, uh, and the the borrowing, all of those demands on the state budget, particularly as the pandemic continues to affect uh, the state economy, uh, are tax hikes going to be inevitable in the spring session once lawmakers finally can reconvene? You know, whether or not tax hikes um, are going to be part of the equation, I believe, is an open question today. But I, here, here's one thing that I that I think will have to be part of uh, the conversation, and that's tax expenditures, which which some some people would consider, I suppose, a tax increase. You know, we give away a lot of money uh, in our tax code, Jim, to 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 very specialized interests. Some of it is very effective. I would argue that some is not very effective. We need to review all those things uh, because that is revenue lost by state government. Tax credits are valuable when they're effective, when they cost little, but they have exponential gain in terms of economic growth. I think all of those things on the table are on the table today because we have a, a nearly $4 billion hole to fill. Um, that's going to have to, you know, in part happen this year, but most of all beginning next fiscal year on July 1. So, those tax expenditures, those things have to be part of the discussion. And I think at the end of the day, they will be. Senator, one last question. You had a piece in the paper uh, a few days ago talking about how uh, average people can have a voice uh, at the state house, can help get things done, pointing to the uh, the legislation that uh, is capping the cost of insulin here in Illinois. And I know you've been very concerned about prescription drug prices overall. Uh, what more are you planning on that issue in 2021? And what are your other legislative priorities once lawmakers do reconvene? You know, that's a big one, Jim. I appreciate you bringing it up because uh, one thing that I hear about from constituents every day is the uh, skyrocketing cost of prescription medication, so much so uh, that um, upwards of one in three people uh, don't take the required doses of prescriptions because of the cost. And these are people with uh, with insurance. So there's any number of pending bills uh, today in both the Senate and the House that I think are reasonable in nature that could get bipartisan support if they were allowed to be debated and called for a vote. Uh, One of those uh, bills um, deals with uh, pharmacy benefit managers uh, that I believe are driving up the costs. I mean, these these are unknown entities. Uh, They don't sell anything. They don't produce anything. They don't have factories that that make anything, but they drive up the cost of prescription drugs for you and I and everybody with insurance. So there are things that that we can do, but we have to take on those special interests. The only way to do that is for people uh, of all walks of life to tell their stories, to use their voices, to demand change. We don't have to accept the status quo today when it comes to, for example, what we pay for prescription drugs in the United States of America. We learned that with the insulin bill, and I think we can do more. Senator Andy Minar, I'm not sure if we'll be talking again before Christmas. So if not, a very Merry Christmas to you and yours and stay safe and well, and we will talk soon. You too, Jim. Thank you.